This is going to be the second part of a two-part series on 1 Timothy chapter 4, verses 1 to 16. Now, the Spirit expressly says that in later times, some will depart from the faith by devoting themselves to deceitful spirits and teachings of demons, through the insincerity of liars whose consciences are seared, who forbid marriage and require abstinence from foods that God created to be received with thanksgiving by those who believe and know the truth. For everything created by God is good, and nothing is to be rejected if it is received with thanksgiving, for it is made holy by the word of God and prayer. If you put these things before the brothers, you will be a good servant of Christ Jesus, being trained in the words of the faith and of good doctrine that you have followed. Have nothing to do with irreverent, silly myths. Rather, train yourself for godliness. For while bodily training is of some value, godliness is of value in every way as it holds promise for the present life and also for the life to come. The saying is trustworthy and deserving of full acceptance. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the saviour of all people, especially of those who believe. Command and teach these things. Let no one despise you for your youth, but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. Until I come, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Do not neglect the gift that you have, which was given you by prophecy when the council of elders laid their hands on you. Practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this, for by so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. So you probably don't want your kids to hear this, so if your kids are still in the room, just block their ears up for a moment. I hated school. (laughs) I, I hated it. I was really good at it. Uh, but I, but I really didn't enjoy school because I, I would have much rather be. Well, you can, you can unblock their ears now. <laughs> I, I would have much rather be at home on the farm. But in grade nine, I thought that was all going to change because that was the first time when we were going to at least have some ability to to select some of our subjects. Uh, up until then, we just did what we were told to do. Now. As it turns out, I think I was one of only three boys in the whole school who did the very non-blokey subject of typing. Um, And so one lad, I'm pretty sure he was just there because he wanted to be with the girls, because that's where all the pretty girls were, so that's where he went. Another lad genuinely wanted to learn to type, and me, I was just there because I was frustrated with the other options. Um, so just about every boy in our year level did woodwork, metalwork and tech drawing. Was that normal here where you guys all went to school? Yep, just about everyone did that. Um, but my experience of those subjects in grade eight when we did them, 
I, I just found really frustrating because something that it would take us a whole term to make at school is something you could knock up in a couple of afternoons at home. And so I thought I might as well do something that I'm going to learn something new. So instead of doing woodwork, metalwork and tech drawing, I did typing, business principles and geography. Um, and so particularly the first two subjects, not very blokey subjects. Anyway, I learned how to touch type, um, touch is probably the wrong word, um, on these old mechanical clunkers, because that's what the typewriters were back in the day. You'd have to hit them hard to get them to hit the, the, the aging ribbons hard enough to, to leave the, a letter uh, stuck onto your page. Um, and we did have a couple of electric typewriters at the back, two, two of those really newfangled things, and, and one was sort of like an electric version that would of the, of the mechanic ones where it would throw the arm for, forward. And then we had this really flash one called a golf ball typewriter, which had all the letters basically, it was basically the same as some of the original printers and the golf ball would turn and, and hit and turn and hit. It was an amazing thing, but we weren't allowed to use those. That was for the grade 11s. Um, and I never got to grade 11s, so I never really got to use it. But little did I realise that the skill that I was learning with typing was going to be really useful for me. Because little did I realise that, that um, within a decade, computers were going to start to get common and within about one and a half decades, just about every home had, had a computer in it. And that training for me and that very non-blokey subject of typing, it, it's actually become one of the most useful skills I learnt at school all those years ago. Now let's, let's have a little recap. We finished off last week with Paul telling Timothy, bodily training is of slight value, but train yourself for godliness because godliness is of value in every way. And a very real problem in the church is wrong doctrine or, or having a wrong understanding of the faith. And, and wrong doctrine or a wrong understanding of the faith, it, it comes into the church mainly through those whose consciences are seared, right? The self-delusion of sin convinces a person that because it feels right to me or because it seems right to me, it must be right, even if it doesn't connect with God's word, even if it's contrary to God's word. And so training in godliness is the best way for us to stop ourselves from being misled by the self-delusion of sin. Right? So that's where we got up to last week. Today we're going to pick it up at verse 10. He says, for this end, for, for what end? Being trained in godliness, being trained in words of faith and in good doctrine. For to this end, we toil and strive because we have our hope set on the living God who is the saviour of all people, especially, that is, of those who believe. Right? So he's not saying that, that he's the saviour of, of all people, meaning even unbelievers. Uh, he's the saviour of all people, Jew and Gentile, black and white, men and women, young and old. He's the saviour of all people who believe. Right? So we train in holiness because our hope is in the living God. Right? It, it, it's not the training in godliness that gives us this hope. We've already got the hope. 
And because of the hope that we have in God, because of this faith that we have in our living God, because of this, we toil and strive to be trained in godliness. So, as disciples of Jesus, being trained in godliness is what we strive for. It is the priority in life. Why wouldn't it be? And when we're making decisions for, for our lives and, well, Lord, where, where do you want me to be? What, 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 how do you want me serving you? What, even what job do you want me to have? Where, where do you want me to spend the next decade in my life? Whatever. When we're considering any of these things, the priority in our, in our decision-making should be, well, Lord, how are you wanting me to be trained in godliness during this time? That has to enter into it. And yet, in practice, training in godliness is it's often really low down on a person's priority list. And I've thought about this. Why? And the reason that I came up with it, I think, is probably because being trained in godliness, it can be a very humbling thing. I know it's a very humbling thing for me. I'm not God, you see. You, you've worked that out, haven't you? Michael isn't God. Yep. My family, the first ones to nod. Yep, they know I'm not God. Um, and so for me to be trained in godliness means I'm going to be trained for there to be less Michaelness and to increase the Christ-likeness. And that's actually quite a humbling thing, particularly in society. In our society, we're sort of being told, you know, be the best you you can be. Well, no, God's telling you to stop being you and start being Christ. And so being trained in godliness means I am going to be confronted with the reality of sin in my life and the reality of the sinfulness of the Michaelness. And this sin is something I need to be rid of. And, and I'm going to be taught how to shift my focus from worldly stuff and things that appeal to my flesh and to shift them to things which are of eternal value, things of the Spirit. And guess what? You're not God either. And so for you to be trained in godliness means you're going to learn that there's less of you to be had. It's less about you, and it's more about God. You might learn that, that things that, that seem really, really important to you on your priorities list don't even rate as a speck of dust on God's scale of priorities. And so we as a church should toil and strive to be trained in godliness. And yet, not all churches are good at that. Sometimes we're more about platitudes, where we present an anemic Jesus and where we value all things, and that tends to lull people into an empty, insincere faith. Others, on the other hand, might adopt a church growth model where the basic gospel message on how to get saved is the only message that's preached. So last week, the message was how to get saved. This week, the message is how to get saved. Next week, the message will be how to get saved. Maybe we might then teach you how you got saved. And then we might teach you how to help others get saved, and then we'll talk about how to get saved again. 
right? And that can be the general message coming through every single week. Um, the problem is we're getting taught how to get saved, but not how to be the saved. Or the message might be getting preached might just be a motivational talk, telling their listeners how, how they can improve their life experience. Now, the biblical model is for the church to be a place where being taught and trained in godliness. Most teaching in the church is supposed to be for those who are saved. You know why? Because we're in church, because we're meeting as the saved. Um, and so, yes, there will be times when somebody comes along and goes, oh, I wonder what those Christians are on about, and they sort of come and kick the tyres of church, if you like. And so, yeah, so sometimes we do give the message on this is how to be saved. But for most of the time, we're being taught, okay, now that we are saved, because our hope is in the living God, how are we then going to be godly? How does he lead us into godliness? Right. So, so Paul's advice to Timothy, um, I don't think that it would really make him the most popular pastor in the world today. He says, Timothy, command and teach these things. Now, in my experience, not, not everyone wants to be taught. Uh, in fact, there are many who just want to be affirmed. And who likes to be commanded? I mean, oh, that wretched preacher, there he goes again telling us, who, who does he think that he is telling us what we have to do? Um, and these are the things that I, I don't, makes a pastor uncomfortable. I don't want to be, I know my role is to teach, but I, I, I don't like to be the bloke who gets up front and commands. Um, but he's, Paul's telling Timothy, this is what you have to do, command and teach these things. And that's why it's really important for a pastor to lead by example. Um, Paul said to Timothy, let no one despise you for your youth. And we, we don't know how old Timothy was at this point, uh, but the, the, the point is, it's not a person's age that makes them suitable for leadership. It's spiritual maturity and calling. Well, I've, said, I've said this before and I'm going to say it again. Spiritual maturity has nothing to do with how flashy or how showy one's spiritual gifts are. Spiritual maturity is about godliness. And so it's important for Timothy, if he's training others in godliness, if he is teaching them in godliness, if he is commanding them in the ways of godliness, it's really important for him himself to be a godly man which is why Paul tells him to set an example, set an example in speech, in conduct, in love, set an example in faith and in purity. Now, now those are the traits that often the youth might lack, but not only the youth. And the, I don't know about you, but the older and older that I'm getting, the, the more I realise that at times I lack these aspects in my life. And so whether we're whether we're young or whether we're older or whether we're positively ancient, because our hope is set on the living God, who is the Saviour, we also should be seeking to be godly examples 
Godly examples in the way we speak. Godly examples in the way we live. Um, Godly examples in the way we love, the way we love God and the way we love others. And that we'd be a people of faith and that we'd be a people of purity. And that's what training in godliness is working us toward. And so Paul said to Timothy in verse 13, devote yourself to the public reading of scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Now, possibly years earlier, the elders had laid their hands on Timothy to pray for him and to set him apart into the ministry in the church. And at that time, a prophecy had been given. Now, we don't know what that prophecy said. It's not recorded anywhere in the Bible. We don't have a record of that prophecy. But but reading between the lines, it, it seems pretty obvious that it was to do with preaching and teaching. Timothy had been given a gift by God to preach and to teach. And because he'd been given that gift, it was important that he should be using it. You you might be sick of me saying this by now, but but one of my favourite images of the church is how we, as the church, are the body of Christ. And and the picture that we're given in the Bible of of how, you know, the body with arms and legs and, and ears and fingers and toes and nose and eyes, right? We've got all these different body parts. And we, like the body, we're each different body parts, but together we form the one body. And... You will have gifts that I don't have. And so you will be able to serve God in ways that I am not able to serve God. At the same time, I will have gifts that you don't have. And so I will be able to serve God in ways that you are not able to serve God. And and we all have different gifts. But the thing is, if we are not using the gifts that we have, if there is any one person in a church who is not using the gifts that God has given them, then it's like the body is missing a part. So there might be an arm in the congregation, but it's hanging limp and, it can't, and it's not doing anything. And the fingers are going, well, I want to be doing things, but, but the arm isn't working with me, so it's not working. Or we might be a bit confused about what our gifts are and we might think that we're an eye, whereas we're actually a hand. And we're trying to do things that we're not gifted in and, and that can be disastrous for the church. And so Paul says to Timothy, do not neglect your gifts. Timothy's gifts were to be put to use for the training of the church in godliness. And there's three elements that Paul highlights. He says, devote yourself to the public reading of Scripture, to exhortation, to teaching. Now, back in the day, public reading of the Scripture would have been really, really important. Not everybody could read. Guess what? Not everyone can read today either. And that's why it's important for us to read aloud the scripture in church. We don't just say, everybody read this and then we'll talk about it. Um, But even of those who could read scripture, not many had access to the scrolls of scripture. I mean, can you imagine how expensive it would have been to buy a copy of, of, of a scroll of scripture, something that somebody would have had to been paid to sit down and copy it word for word. It would have taken them months to do it. It would have been very expensive. So it would have been, by the way, scripture back then was, was what we have in our Old Testaments now. 
But little did Paul realise that when he was writing this letter to Timothy, that he was writing something that would become scripture today. Imagine him writing this letter to Timothy. He had no idea there'd be a bunch of people in this little town called St George in a cold hall on a, on a Sunday morning in a place where the sun comes up at a funny angle and there's different stars in the sky on the other side of the world. Imagine that, writing this letter all those years ago. He had no idea that this would become scripture for us today. But, but the fact that we all have our own Bibles today, that doesn't mean that the public reading of scripture isn't important anymore. You see, the reading of scripture, exhortation and teaching are meant to be held together. If we have teaching without beginning with scripture, then it's not good teaching. Or if we've got exhortation without the teaching to explain, then there's going to be something go awry. This is central to Christian worship and it's central to our training in godliness. The reading of scripture, exhortation and teaching are meant to be held together. To be trained in the true faith, to be trained in good doctrine means we need to start with the right source information. We don't begin with philosophy or psychology. We're not teaching scientific theory. We're not talking about sociology, nor do we form our message around popular public opinion. We begin with God's word. God's word is the source of good doctrine. And so that's why we read our Bibles. And I hope that each one of us make a practice of reading our Bibles. Read it at home. Read it alone as you pray and study together with God. Um, read it together as a family. Read it together as a husband and wife. Read it together as a Bible study group. Read it together as a church. And we let God's word be that which helps us to understand the natural world around us. We let God's word reveal to us why people think the way they do and, and let God's word be that which helps us to understand why popular public opinion is so much at times against God and let it be God's word that informs us about the state of our own godlessness and therefore be God's word that trains us in godliness. And when we read the scripture... Let us never take up the deceptive practice of, of dividing the Bible up into single verses or parts of verses. We need to let the word of God speak as it is. And a lot of the time that people get led into wrong doctrine, it's when a verse or a part of a verse gets taken completely out of context and, and, and gets used to say something that it's not at all talking about. So let's read God's word. Let's study, study it together. Now, you know as well as I do, there's two common difficulties when it comes to, to reading God's word. Sometimes it's not easy to understand. Most of the time it is. Sometimes it's not. So for example, that, that there may be connections that need to be made with other bits of scripture um, to help us to fully understand what God's saying. Um, but we're, we're not aware of those connections. And that's why we need people who have a gift of teaching to teach us the scriptures and, and to help us to understand what they mean. 
But the second difficulty, I think, is probably the more important one. Um, oh, not more important, the more common one, is when the scripture is understood, it's actually very plain and clear what it's saying. Uh, the difficulty is we're reluctant to apply it. And that's where exhortation comes in. Exhortation. It's not a word we hear much anymore, is it? Where do you ever hear the word exhortation? Except for where you read it in the Bible. Exhortation is to issue a challenge that demands a response. The first exhortation you might have heard might have been when you first become a Christian. You might have heard the gospel proclaimed and that you're a sinner in need of a saviour and the preacher said to you, do not go home until you've made a decision for Jesus. Right? That's an exhortation. And, and I'm going to ask you that question right now. Have you surrendered your life to Jesus? To be saved, we have to repent of sin, believe in the Lord Jesus Christ, and be baptised into the name of Jesus. And I am exhorting you. I am issuing you with a challenge that demands a response. Have you done this? Have you repented of sin? Do you believe in the Lord Jesus Christ? Have you been forgiven of all of your wrongdoings? Have you been baptised into the name of Jesus? If you haven't, I am exhorting you now. I am issuing you with a challenge that demands a response. Do it. Don't go home until you have done it. But I'm also going to warn you that this is just the start. This is the first of many exhortations that we are going to get and that we're going to have to respond to during our life of training in godliness. They're just going to keep on coming. You see, being a disciple of Jesus means we don't get to decide for ourselves what godliness looks like. Godliness is what godliness is. And this is about being trained in godliness. And as we read the scriptures, the scriptures are going to constantly challenge us. They're going to challenge us about real changes that need to be made in our lives, changes to help us to reflect godliness. That Christ-likeness would become the, the very thing that people see in our lives. Not because we're putting on a false show, but because we're being truly changed by the Holy Spirit. And so the challenges are going to keep coming. The thing is, God's model of teaching isn't a modern one. Um, modern teaching seems to have gone down the self-directed approach to learning. In the church, God has given the gifts of preaching and teaching. As we are taught God's word, we begin to understand the ways of God. And we begin to understand how our own selves, and perhaps even the way we think, maybe even the way we were brought up, might be in opposition to what God would have us become. And this is where exhortation really comes in. Timothy was told to command and teach these things. 
See, God's word and the commandments of God, they're not an optional extra. Growth in godliness sometimes requires some major life changes. It, it might require a, a complete change even in what you understand a Christian to be. See, for some, being a Christian is that's just a religious thing. I say this prayer and I'm saved. Or I'm a member of the right church and therefore I'm saved. By the way, if you have that attitude, it's not because you're a member of Bush Disciples. Um, or I pray occasionally, therefore I must be a, a good Christian. Or, or I believe what I believe and I'm really sincere about what I believe, so it's all good. The problem is we can be sincerely wrong. For others, their understanding of godliness might be, might be about having a certain persona. I think like this, therefore I must be a Christian. Or I stand against this, therefore I'm a Christian. Or even I vote like this, so therefore I'm a Christian. It's about the persona. It's having the attitude, that's what Christian people do. And therefore I'm doing it, therefore I'm a Christian. But as we read God's word... We're going to be exhorted over and over again about how God is transforming us to become more like Christ. What sort of Christ? Not Christ the judge. You know, some people become very judgmental. We're transformed to become more like Christ, more like the suffering servant, more like the Holy One, the one who lives and does justly. So there's going to be more love, more joy, more peace, patience, kindness, goodness, faithfulness, gentleness, self-control. It's the fruit of the Spirit growing in our lives. Now, the thing is, when we hear God's word, when it's taught, when that wretched preacher exhorts us to make some massive changes in our lives, what do we do with that? I make my own corn meat. Um, whole rumps are about the cheapest meat that you can buy most of the time. And what I do is I buy a bunch of rumps, I cut the best of it into steaks, and then the next bits, we, I turn that into corn meat, and the worst of it I turn into mince. Now, to make corn meat, the way you do that is you have your, your own secret recipe for the brine, then you inject that into the meat, and then you put it into a bucket of brine to let it soak in it. And I usually leave mine in for at least 10 days, sometimes two weeks. And it just goes right through it, just leaving it soaking in the brine. It just takes it right in and it transforms that, that raw, basic flesh into something completely different, in, into, a, into a corned meat. Now, verse 15 says, practice these things. Immerse yourself in them so that all may see your progress. Right? Now, now Timothy, he's a teacher. He's the pastor of that church. But even Timothy has to immerse himself into God's word. And he has to immerse himself into, into godly teaching. 
And I hope this is something that you realize, you should realize it by now, I've said it enough. Often the main person that I'm preaching to is me. Um, as I immerse myself into God's word and as I hear godly teaching, I am constantly being challenged by it. And I hope and I pray that some of you may even notice me occasionally being a bit changed by God's word to become somebody more like Christ. Um, but I am constantly being challenged. Every time I prepare for a message, um, not only do I study God's word by just reading it, but I immerse myself in teaching by, by reading commentaries. And I thank God and I praise God for those Bible teachers who have written commentaries to, to teach me and to help me to understand his word. And like that meat soaking in the brine, let's not hear God's word and say, no, you're not coming in. Right? Now, before I actually got the pump and you could actually pump some of the brine into the meat, um, sometimes I just put a few lumps of meat together in the bucket. And sometimes two lumps of meat would be pushing on each other. And, and if you had the fat part exposed, the, the, the brine just couldn't get in. And I think sometimes we might be a bit like that with God's word and with godly teaching. Um, well, we sort of repel it and I'll say, God, that's, that's off limits. I know what you're saying. I know what you're wanting to change in my life, but you know what? I'm, that doesn't fit my plans or that doesn't fit who I like being. And so we actually repel God's word instead of soaking it in. And we shouldn't be saying that's off limits, God. We need to immerse ourselves, take in God's word, take in godly teaching and be transformed because that's what it's meant to be doing to us. Right. Two years ago, Australia built and gave to Samoa a brand new patrol boat valued at $30 million, right? That's a pretty generous gift for us to give to Samoa. $30 million, two years ago, they ran it aground. Um, I'm not sure how long I had it before they ran it aground, but it happened a little while ago now, and it is totally ruined. Uh, they've, they've brought it into port and they've assessed it and they've decided it's cheaper to build a new one than to repair it. And so it was announced only last week that we're going to buy them another one. Another, who knows how much a $30 million patrol boat costs today. Now, right back in chapter one, Paul used an example of a shipwreck to describe what can happen to one's faith when we reject true faith and a, have, and a good conscience. And and some have, he says, some have made shipwreck of their faith. Right? Now, this is the image that he's giving, a, a picture of total ruination, because that's what a shipwreck does. And so in verse 16, he says, keep a close watch on yourself and on the teaching. Persist in this. For so doing, you will save both yourself and your hearers. If bad doctrine if having a messed up faith can totally shipwreck faith, he's saying, Timothy, 
Keep a watch on, close watch on yourself and keep a close watch on what you teach. Keep a close watch on your godliness, on how you live. Keep a close watch on what you receive. Don't, don't go paying attention to myths and old wives' tales and theories and innuendo. You stick with God's word. And keep a close watch on the teaching. Is the teaching based on the word of God? Is it, is it true to the word of God? You know, often people quote a verse or, or two and, and use that to back up what they're wanting to say. But that verse is saying actually nothing really about that topic. We have to make sure that we use God's word how it was intended. And so saying persist in this to save yourself and to save those who hear what you're teaching. To save them from what? Persistent, godly teaching in good doctrine saves us from a shipwrecked faith. That's what he's saying. Training in godliness is what keeps us as disciples of Jesus following the real Jesus and growing in Christ-likeness. Let's wrap it up. Something that struck me through the whole of chapter four is how hands-on and how determined the Christian life's meant to be. We, do, we don't just float along. And I think this is the biggest problem that, that Christians have in the church today. We like to just float along. But we don't just float along. Because if we're just floating along, it's like, eh, we'll probably end up shipwrecked. Did you notice the number of doing words in that, in that chapter 4 that we read just then? We toil and strive, command and teach, set an example, devote yourself, public reading of Scripture, exhortation, teaching, practice these things, immerse yourself in them, keep a close watch, persist, save yourself, save your hearers. Getting this, like living the Christian life, it's not about just floating along. Floating along is what leads to shipwreck. Toil, strive, persist. Training in godliness because our hope is on the living God who saved us. Let's pray. Lord, we want to thank you that you provide everything we need for training in godliness. Lord, forgive us for the times when we have just floated along. For when we haven't devoted ourselves to the public reading of scripture or devoted ourselves to exhortation or teaching. Forgive us for when we haven't been good examples in the way we speak or what we do that we haven't loved, that our faith has been weak or misguided and for when purity has been lacking. Lord, give us a resolve to be devoted to you and so devoted to our training in godliness. Lord, search us and change us to make us more like your son to your glory. Amen.